pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word, Lord, that we can look to you and we can know exactly, Lord, how it is that you want us to live. Lord, you don't, you haven't hidden it from us, Lord. You haven't hidden your word from us, Lord, but you have um, placed it before us. We thank you, Lord, that um, you have given us this opportunity this day where we can listen to your word preached. Father, I ask for your help, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you might grant me unction. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Acts chapter 12. If you turn your Bibles with me. Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Thank you, Stephen. Um, as I'm getting ready to, um, as we're looking at this passage and we're observing some things in this passage, you might notice that there's, I mean, we have a whole chapter to cover. Um, we have a few topics to cover, just um, looking through this. It's really probably difficult for us to get through everything. Um, but to begin, I want to ask a question. Who is Lord? Um, who is Lord? Is it Herod that's Lord? Or is it Jesus Christ that's Lord? Um, we all know the answer, hopefully, um, who is uh, truly Lord. But I want you to be thinking about that question as we're reading through the passage. To kind of help us to string things along. All right? So Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 25. Acts chapter 12. We're going to begin from verses 1 through 5. About that time... Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it, was, it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers, to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. We're going to stop here real quick, and we're going to continue on through the passage. I'm sorry, I didn't read in your version, um, but you guys kind of got the same thing from the CSB. Um, as I'm as I'm reading this passage, and I'm as I'm gathering some of the things that um, to gather in order to prepare for the sermon, um, I'm reminded of the sovereignty of God. I'm reminded of the fact that our Lord, our God, Jesus Christ, he is in control. He is in control and it is, and it, he has care for his church. He cares for his people. He cares for his bride. And you're going to see a battle in this passage. On the one end, you're going to see Herod. You're going to see Herod. And on the other end, you're going to see Jesus. When you go against the church, you're going against Jesus Christ himself. And so we're going to see this, that Jesus takes this. And even before, as we remember from previous passages in Acts, you see Jesus, and he identifies himself as the church. So let's begin. Verse 1, Acts chapter 12, verse 1. 
It says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now, this is not uncommon. As we have seen before, there um, we're, we're up in, to chapter 12 in the book of Acts, and so far we have already seen many forms of persecution against Christ's church. This is nothing new. This is nothing new to the readers of Acts. This is Herod now that decides that he wishes to persecute the church, persecute God's people. Now, there were many different reasons for persecution, but this one particularly, Herod, had ties to the Jewish community. And it is believed that he was seeking to strengthen his ties with the Jewish community for his own political gains. And so what we see in verse 2 is that it says, the violence that he had against the church, it leads him to eventually killing James, the brother of John. If you see verse 2, it says he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And so this man, Herod, Herod, Herod is reigning terror on the church. And he even goes so far as to killing the apostle James, one of the 12 apostles. Verse 3 shows that the Jews actually love it. It says in verse 3, it says, when he saw that it pleased the Jews. This is a move that he made that, that pleased the Jews. The Jews liked what he did. And so because of that, because the Jews were like what Herod did, it says that because he, it, he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So, because it pleased the Jews, he does something that might secure the praise of the Jews for a very long time, and he arrests Peter. Verse 3, it says, This was during the time of the unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. The passage states that this happened during the time of the Passover, and Herod seemed to regard the Jewish people so much that he had regard for their feasts, he had regard for their festivals, and he waited until after the Passover to carry out his execution of Peter. Now look, look at verse 5. It says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by his church. You follow? Peter was kept in prison, but, it says but, that word but is very important, but earnest prayer was being made on his behalf by the church. It is almost as though the passage is wants you to anticipate that something is going to happen because the church is praying. I believe this with all my heart, what I'm about to say, that a praying church is the most powerful force in the whole universe. I believe that. It is more powerful than any army. It is more powerful than any Navy SEAL. So Herod throws Peter in jail. But, but, but the church is making <coughs> earnest prayer for Peter. 
Now, does God answer this prayer? Well, let's look at verse 6. It says, Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the sentries were before the door were guarding the prison. Notice with me. It says, Peter was sleeping. Peter is sleeping at this time. Peter was sleeping. Notice the church is making earnest prayer for him, and he is sleeping at the moment. I wonder how many times, it just made me think about it, that Peter was sleeping and the church was praying for him. I do wonder how many times I have been blessed and rescued from danger because of other people's prayer for me. On my behalf. This is the beauty of the church, beloved. This is the beauty of praying for one another. You can be even down, lying down, sleeping while the church is holding you up in prayer. And this is why it's important that we share our prayer requests with one another. The church holds us down in prayer. And so as Peter is sleeping, it says the Bible says that um, the Bible gives us a picture of the kind of security that Peter has while he's sleeping. He says one arm is chained to one guard. It says he has two chains chained to the two guards. One arm is chained to one guard and the other arm is chained to the other guard. A left hand and his right hand. And there were other guards even by the door as well. And there were, they were guarding the prison so that no one can come in and no one can leave. And so Peter has a lot of security. There's a lot of security um, that Herod puts in place in order for him to ensure that Peter will meet his execution. Now, Herod, perhaps he was familiar with the story before when Peter escaped um, uh, from jail before, because we see Peter, he had broken out of jail before through a miraculous intervention. And so maybe Herod gets wind of this and he sets up extra security. And And here's what the word says. It says, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. He follows the angels, passes the guards that were by the door, and the last obstacle was this iron gate. It says it opened for him on its own accord. This iron gate opens up for him. This is the first automatic door. The iron gate just opens up. I was getting nervous that nobody's going to laugh at that one. So, (laughs) so look at this. The Lord rescues Peter. Who is Lord? Is Jesus Lord or is Herod Lord? Who is showing to have control in this passage? Now, let's see the church's reaction. The Peter knocks on the door. Let's uh, let's look at verse twelve. It says, "When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, 
where many were gathered together and were praying. Look, this is late at night, by the way, and the believers are praying. They are praying, they are interceding for Peter. And when the, there's a slave girl um, who's there, a servant girl, her name was Rhoda, and she went to answer the door. Peter knocks on the door, she goes to answer, she tells, she goes back and she tells the believers, look, Peter is outside, they're not believing her. And it shows that, um, it, might not, it may show lack of faith, it may not, it may be that the believers were praying, Lord, please rescue Peter through some miraculous intervention and that maybe Herod might let him go free, maybe something else might happen. They were not probably not expecting an angel to rescue him in the middle of the night. Now, um, so God definitely answered their prayers, but beyond their wildest expectation. Now, I want you to step back from these verses real quick, and I want us to kind of consider something for my first major point. Peter is rescued. Peter is rescued. The chains fell off of Peter's hands, his arms. He is, he is um, ushered out of the prison, and he goes and he shows himself before the believers. And the believers are rejoicing to see Peter. Peter is rescued, but I want to step back from this and I want us to consider this point. In the beginning of this passage, prior to Peter's deliverance, we see that James, one of the 12 apostles, died. He is not rescued. Look, look again, verse, 12, verse 2. It says, Herod killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. You follow? Now, here's a question. Was not God capable of rescuing James from the sword? From Peter's rescue, we can all agree, yes, God is more than capable of rescuing James. But he does not. James dies, but Peter is rescued. James dies, but Peter is delivered. Beloved, I would be lying to you and I would be doing a disservice to you if I told you that as long as you are faithful, God will always deliver you. I would love to tell you that your story will always be like Peter's story, but I cannot. You might be delivered you might experience the kind of miracles that Peter experienced. And, 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 and I encourage us to pray for those kinds of experiences. I pray that when we are in situations like Peter or when we are in situations um, of hardship that we ask God, please rescue us from these particular situations. But I would be unfaithful to you and I would be unfaithful to the text to tell you that you will always be rescued. You may end up like James because of your obedience to Jesus Christ or you may end up like Peter because of your obedience to Jesus Christ. What you ought to be concerned about is your obedience to Christ and you allow Jesus Christ to worry about the results. Amen? You cannot look at the passage and say, this is going to be you 100% the way that Peter was delivered. We see one apostle, James, killed. 
He was faithful. He was in God's path. He was a holy man, and yet he was killed. And then you see the Apostle Peter. He's rescued. So that's my first point. My second point is similar to the first point. And it's this. God has a different path for all of his children. You follow? God has a different path for all of his children. No two Christians have the same path. We see that with James and Peter, two faithful Christians, two Christians experience the same, I'm sorry, no two Christians can experience the same degree of suffering. And the sufferings or the lack thereof has nothing to do with your faithfulness to Christ. The Lord simply chooses. The Lord is simply sovereign over which direction and which way you would glorify him. Some people will glorify God by being in prison. Some people will glorify God by dying for the cause. Some people will glorify God by living a happy, successful, and a rich life. There are many different paths to God's glory. And God has a different path for all of his believers. John 21, 18 is very interesting to me. I I really marvel at this passage. John chapter 21, verse 18. It says, Jesus says this. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's, He's speaking specifically to Peter at this time, right? And Jesus says this. He says, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will tie you and carry you and bring you where you do not want to go. He said this to indicate what kind of death Peter will glorify God. You see? So Jesus just told Peter a parable. This is back in John. This is before Jesus dies. Jesus is talking to Peter. He's like, Peter gives him a little parable and he explains basically how Peter will soon die. And so Peter is soon going to be a martyr, which means that Peter is going to die for the faith. That's what a martyr is, when you die for the faith. And so Peter is soon going to die for the faith. He knows that. Peter understands that. And you know what, how Peter answers? Peter doesn't ask, ask how it's going to happen. This is what he does. He gives a parable, and after saying this, Jesus told him, follow me. Verse 20, he said, G- Peter says this. So Peter turned around. He didn't look at Jesus. He turned around and saw the other disciples who loved Jesus following him, the one whom Jesus had loved, he, whom he leaned against. He says, he, this is what he says. He says, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Jesus. I'm sorry, verse 21. It says, when Peter saw him, he says, Jesus, Lord, what about him? You see what Peter asks? Jesus says, basically, you're going to suffer. You're going to die for my name. You're going to be martyred for my name. Peter, you know, wants to join. I mean, you know, misery loves company. So he looks at the, some, his, the other apostle, John. He's like, what about him? Is he going to die? What about him? And Jesus told him. This is what Jesus told Peter. He said, if I want to keep John alive until I return, what is that to you? You, follow me. Does that make sense? Which means this, that don't look at other believers or don't look at other Christians and their path and the way in which God has called them specifically. 
We all have our individual path. And to compare yourselves to one another, sometimes it could be good. There are healthy ways in which we can compare ourselves to one another. But to compare our paths in the way in which God has called you specifically, the way that God has uniquely designed you, and you look to other people and look to their paths and you say, what about them? What about them? You follow me. What about them? You follow me. You follow me. We each must seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Ask the Lord, Lord, what does it look like for me to follow you in my particular context and the way in which I'm living? You follow me. And so we are reminded, we are reminded that no, there are no two paths that are equal for both for, for believers. And so we see that God is sovereign. God is the one that's ultimately sovereign. He does as he pleases. Herod thinks that he is some, um, Herod thinks that he is um, in control. Herod thinks that he can um, persecute Christ's church. But it is ultimately God. It's ultimately Jesus Christ that's sovereign. It is ultimately him that chooses what happens, our fate. Even in the midst, friends, of corrupt leaders, leadership, we can rest assured that Jesus Christ is even sovereign over that. Let's consider another point. Jesus Christ being sovereign even over Herod. Jesus Christ being sovereign even over Herod. Let's look at verse 20. It says, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory to the God. He did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. <clears throat> and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with him John, who was also whose other name was Mark. Let's see. Let's consider what's uh, going on in the passage. So, now we find that um, ultimately Herod meets his end. Herod ends up dying. Now, it's very interesting to me that how Herod died or why he died. Um, remember what Herod did in the past. Herod persecuted the church. He, didn't, he wasn't killed for that. Herod killed James. He wasn't killed for that. Herod brought, he, he, he locked up Peter. He wasn't killed for that. But he didn't give God glory, and he was killed for that. Yeah. It's very interesting. What's going on in this passage, and why is this happening, and what, how does this relate to what I'm talking about in terms of the sovereignty of God? It's not that Herod did something that 
was unforgivable or he did something that you and I do not do in terms of receiving glory that way we don't um, deserve glory. It's the fact that God is controlled and he chooses. He chooses when it is time for someone to go. He chooses when it is time to punish someone even when it comes to the person's death. Let's uh, see from this passage that ultimately it is Jesus Christ who is sovereign, not Herod. It is ultimately Jesus Christ that is sovereign and not Herod. Let us just take some time and just look and observe um, verses 20 to 25 just real quick. I know there's a lot that we're, um, we have to cover in this passage, but let's just consider this. It says, why, why is it, and, and let's consider what's going on what's at play in this passage. It says, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain. They asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So the people are depending on, on Herod for food. At this time, there's no food that's being given. And so Herod comes to a place where um, this guy named Blastus was like the intermediate between um, the people and Herod. And finally, they come to a decision and they're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to um, some, some form of, um, some form of, what do you call it? Herod was finally able to bless the people with the food. And in response to that, Herod gives a speech, right? Herod gives a speech and he talks to the people and he tells the people, look, we don't know what he tells them, but basically this is probably something in which he's summarizing what he's done and maybe future peace for the people. And as he's on the throne, he's delivering this oration to them. And the people were shouting and they were saying, this is the voice of God or a voice of a God. Herod, when he hears this, he doesn't say, no, I'm not God. He allows the people to give him praise. He allows the people to glorify him. And so it became Herod's kingdom. And Herod's kingdom collapsed because God judged Herod at that moment. And friends, God would do the same even to us. He would destroy us if it becomes about us. If we become about us, if we become about mosaic, and we become about things that is not about God, God could destroy us even. And so we reminded from this passage, from this very passage, that it is all for the glory of God. That everything that we are doing, everything that we are, the reason why we are here, the reason why we are gathered together, the reason why Mosaic exists is not for the glorification of people, is not, not to glorify the pastors, it is not to glorify us, it is not for us to look good before a watching world, it is for us to give glory to God. And we are glorifying God as we come together and as we sit under God's preached word and as we listen and as we obey. We are reminded of that. We're reminded of that as we are going forward. We're reminded that we too, friends, we too can be in danger of these things. 
And I would say, I would love to say that it doesn't happen to um, me, it doesn't happen to us. Pride is something that happens and it's something that must be dealt with as soon as you find it. As soon as you try to look for people's approval, as soon as you try to look for people for validation, as soon as your worship team or anything or the preaching or the teaching, everything becomes about, look what I can do. Maybe you might say, yes, this is for God, but in a, you know, just subtly you want people to kind of recognize you. You want to be the, the main attraction. Let us cut off pride. Let us cut off the glory of ourselves. You know, it's also interesting. So we see the sovereignty of God. We see God's powerful hand in this church. We see that God is able to raise a king. We see God's able to to, to kill someone at his will. We see God is able to um, rescue Peter. We see everything in this passage is shouting, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it's, it's fascinating that you look at this passage, you just hold it for a second, and you are reminded that with Jesus himself, as he lived on this earth, perfect, Jesus Christ, as he had control, he did not see fit to keep his life, but he gave his life for us. Even in his complete control, Jesus Christ was the one who, who died willingly, voluntarily, as one who, who has control. And he says, he does it for us, beloved. Friends, let us be reminded of that as we are always united together. Also, I want us to be reminded of the power of prayer. The power of prayer. These believers, they were in uh, in um, in Mary's home, they were they were praying together. They were praying together, and and perhaps again, like this was during the middle of the night. This was probably an emergency prayer, and this is something that we should consider. Also, there are times in which we need emergency prayers, perhaps, and we meet together in a home, and we're praying, and they're praying, and so they're praying, they're praying, they're praying, and they're praying, and that's what this passage says. It says Peter was locked up, but the church was praying for them. The church was praying for them. Only, friends, beloved, if you were to believe the power that lies behind a believing church's prayer. The power that lies behind a believing church's prayer. When we come together, friends, and we pray, and we pray for situations that seem so impossible, people who we thought would never be saved, People who we thought strongholds that we have found in our lives, struggles in which we have said we, have never, we will never be able to overcome. When the church comes together, we are powerful. We are powerful. And you see this too. This is very interesting. In this passage, the same, in the same vein, Peter was in prison. Their leader, the church's leader, Peter, was in prison. The church was not dependent on that leader to be praying together. You see, the church, when the head, or I, I won't call Peter the head, but, but the church is not decapitated when the leader is not there. No, the church is functioning really well because their leader is Jesus Christ. The head is Jesus Christ, and he loves his church. He loves his church more than any pastor could love him. And Jesus Christ will see through that his church will continue to increase. Jesus himself will continue to advance his glory. You see, after this, after this passage, it says, um, Herod was eaten by worms. Verse 24, it says, but 
the word of God increased and multiplied. Herod died. Herod was eaten by worms, but the word of God increased and multiplied. The word of God will increase and it will multiply. So long as Jesus Christ is the head of the church, the word of God will continue to multiply. Friends, I want us to remember that and I want us to believe that truth. Jesus Christ is your head. And Jesus Christ will continue to increase and multiply. So long as we are connected to the head, so long as we're connected in prayer, remember who is the sovereign Lord. Remember who has control. It is not the government. It is not the mayor. It is not the president. It's nobody else in this world. It is our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are Lord. Thank you that you have control and you love your people. Lord, we ask that you would please continue to move your people. Continue to, 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 to allow your people, Lord, to see growth and to love you and to honor you, God. Father, this is more than any pastor can do. In Jesus' name, amen.